Nobody's born incredible. People who do incredible things simply took the right steps. This is our journey. This is the hunt for incredible. In this interview, we continue our conversation with Rachel Hewitt. For a quick recap, Rachel owns a marketing agency, a nonprofit, and is a professional actor. She graduated from Yale. She's been on Broadway. She's done a whole lot of cool stuff and is one of the most incredibly insightful people I've ever met in my life. Her marketing company produces my podcast and a lot of its content, and every time I get off the phone with her, I think to myself, I need to bottle that and share it with the world. So this is the part two of my attempt to do that. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I tell people all yeah. the time, especially people who they say like, oh, I should be posting. I should be creating content, but I'm not. Maybe they have businesses or whatever else they're trying to go for. And when we have a conversation to understand why, oftentimes it is this fear. They built a shell around themselves that is protecting them. And part of that protection is not is keeping them from posting and things like that. And I always tell them, I feel like posting content. So I didn't post anything for years. I think it was two and a half years that I had gone totally silent on social media. I didn't get on very much before I, I actually started posting regularly. And I felt like it was like turning 30. Like there's mm. so much hype behind it. And then you get there and you realize, is this it? Like this is- Just me. This is all it is? <laughs> yeah. Like I remember like shooting off my first post in two and a half years and being super excited and be like, oh, how are people going to respond? And there was this like, this excitement behind it, like this like nervous but exciting energy. And then, so my mentor, he challenged me to post every day for a full year. By the third day, I was like, this is literally just like, there was so much hype around, oh, you're putting yourself out there and you're doing this and that. And it's like, none of that is actually that bad. It's literally, you wake up the next day, the exact same person with the same struggles, the same successes, the same everything. The only difference is that now you have the the extra task each day of like pushing something out or scheduling something to go out or whatever it is. Yeah. I will also say, you know me, I'm constantly like acknowledge the social privilege. So something else that I think you have, though, it's a yes and to your comment in terms of an asset to be able to post boldly and and be able to say like, oh, I can do consistency. I mean, it came from your mentor, so that's one thing. And then like you have this incredible like network of like-minded individuals who are guests on your podcast. And this is something that something that you're doing is something that I am constantly coaching my clients and, and talking to them about is that what's going to make you braver about putting your authentic self out there is by building a trusted community around you. Because then what happens is you have created an inherent sounding board and uh, a reflection that is not going to reflect judgment back on you, but is going to bring out your best self and get you in the practice of connecting and communicating what you're hoping to communicate of, of articulating from like thought to mouth, articulating from like thought to product, pen to paper. And when you do that within a trusted community where there, where punishment isn't a factor, and that's like really important to me whenever I you know, I, I'm working with a client and I see like leadership has in, involved punishment as part of their motivators. I'm like, let me guess you're scared of marketing is because when we remove that punishment factor, we get more creative. The body starts to seek out an opportunity to connect. And what you have done in the past couple of years before doing these social posts, and yes, it is still a brave fact, is that now when it goes out in the world, it's also not what your identity hinges on. And it's also not what, you know, like because people can be cruel out into the world. And so if someone is afraid, you know, listening to this, if they are afraid of like putting something out there, it may be fear of failure. 
I would also ask them, do you feel like you have at least one person in your corner who will still reflect you back at you if the people you're posting to do not? Because that, you know, when we're talking about that parasocial relationship, you know, this is important for actors too on stage. Do not let the audience's applause determine your identity or your accomplishment. It has everything to do with how are you anchoring, you know, whether it's like your nonprofit's mission or your individual goals or your identity, how you're anchoring that into a community or at least one other person who's going to say, no, I know you and it's not going to change regardless of that post performance. So that when you post, you're like, not like it, cancel me. I don't care. Like this is not going to, which I doubt they're going to cancel you if you're like, this is the best product on the market. Like I trust that people <laughs> listening to this are not exactly like going down a route. Although like it feels like a harbinger of doom. It feels so close. It feels so much further away, the threat of people not liking the post or the post failing when actually what you keep close to you are real relationships. So if you want to feel powerful on social media, if you want to feel powerful in marketing, start investing in the relationships closest to you because they're going to remind you of your power as an individual and what you have to give to the world. If we're surrounding ourselves with people who are reminding us of our inherent value and honoring that and empowering that, it's going to be such a short distance between myself and that email and communicating it and sharing it out to the world or myself and that social media post. And then I'm not having to wait on the performance of that post to get feedback on what my value is. I've already decided. So you have to decide what your value is before you start that journey um, in order to sustain it. That's very good. I have known since a very young age that my value comes from a very small group of people. You always have. I can I can testify to that. Yes. <laughs> like it was it was a very <laughs> it was a very conscious thing though. I literally remember so we don't have to get into it now. I got in trouble uh, quite a bit in school. Quite a bit in school. Nothing bad. It was I usually remember. just nothing that I in my opinion was bad. I, it wasn't I stand bad. behind eight year old me. Uh, you were my mini hero. I was like, that was red. <laughs> no, but like talking back to to teachers or just sharing my thoughts or opinions, even when yeah. they didn't fit in, I always knew because I remember looking around and thinking like, I know other people are thinking this. Why isn't anybody saying it? Right. You know, and now looking back, I mean, the biggest criticism I do have on eight year old me is how I said things more so than what I said, because there's always, Fair. you know, it's it's there are times when it you should speak up. Um, to leadership and everything else, as long Boldly. as you're being mindful of how you do it. Um, yeah. But I remember thinking, oh, as long as like my parents and my family think I'm cool, then I'm cool. Like period. Right. Like I don't need I don't need other people to think that I'm cool or to validate me. And despite getting sent to the principal's office at minimum three times a week, yeah, I just felt like, oh, it it, it doesn't matter. Like I remember in my mind thinking, oh these teachers or these people are not fans of me and I'm okay with that because I still think I'm cool. My parents think yeah. I'm cool or my, my family thinks I'm cool. Or like these like three friends that I have think that I'm really cool. 100%. It, you were keeping the parasocial on the periphery, which is where it belongs and not like putting it in your sight lines as your guide. You, you were always like that. And I actually, I'm able to articulate the importance of this because I learned it the hard way. And I feel like you have always had that path, it, which is really cool because you were one of the people in my inner circle who I'm like, wow. I mean, it's also like different when like you're, you're a dude and, and I'm like, <laughs> if I like when you mess up as a girl, they're like, we expected better from you. And you're like, why? I'm just a person. But um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, here's my organized binder. Are you proud of me? Yet you have to surround yourself with like 
an understanding of like, okay, this person is my North Star. Or like these folks are pretty much a guide. And you're like not completely becoming codependent, but becoming interdependent on that communication of if I trust for this person to like really feed back to me when I'm off path, then why would I let these groups of people who do not have as much of an investment in me, who do not care about what my super objective is, what my goals are, what my hopes are for my future, why would I give them influence? Why would I give them power? I'm the one wanting to influence them. So who am I letting influence me and making sure we keep those channels really clear? That is a conversation I have with my clients a lot where they're like, oh, the audience came back and they said this. And I'm like, actually, one or two people wrote in and said, we didn't like the size of the font on the website today. Now, that is worth taking an assessment. Is it accessible? If we feel like the font size is accessible, we really are just going to chalk up those folks as outliers unless it starts pouring in as folks who like needed to say something to someone. But how much are we investing in the full agency of, of our own narrative and like where we're going? And like you could do that because of your knowledge that, oh, as long as like these few people are reflecting back to me that I'm on path, then I'm on path. And everyone else is like working through their own issues. And that's what I said to my kids now. I'm like, if the people who care about you, who you respect are checking in with you and saying like, hey, this is a conversation we have a lot, how you deliver the truth matters in how that person's able to receive it, just so you know, then it's important for you to listen. But if the people surrounding you who do not care about you, who are not invested in your life are starting to sway you and trying to push you around, why listen to them? Why give them power? Like they haven't earned it. They're not investing in you. They're not investing in the outcome of your path. And so that's something that they need to earn um, by showing you that like they're willing to see your value first. This is a perfect segue into how you think about the people you're around and how you engage with them shapes radically the culture that you find mm. yourself in. Yeah. I know you're big on like work culture and just overall culture of what are you shaping and what is your dance with the world around you? Where do yeah. you want to take it from there? So I'm very passionate about a humane workplace and um, creating access actually. So everything from how do we create access in the workplace and, you know, as I'm like pursuing my passion, my ambition for people with neurodivergence or people who are parents and caregivers, you know, I have two kids myself. Just to back it up, the reason why I returned to marketing as my day job is because in order to sustain myself as an actor, even with a dual income, um, I was working like four to five jobs at one time. And honestly, that's fine, right? Like you, you and your cohort have talked about like the hustle, sacrifice, wake up, I was waking up at 5am, I was Craigslisting, I was doing everything I could to like make that money to get on that bus from Philadelphia sometimes into New York to audition. I was living in Philadelphia when I booked Broadway, by the way, like I have hustle coming out my ears. Like you and I, our family, like we were born from the womb and we were like, I was hustling back there. I made some connections. <laughs> like the doctor's like, what? Like I cut the cord. And so it's like, that's not in question. I, I know that like, you have to have tenacity and you have to have persistence. And I say like, you have to have talent, tenacity. And like the third T is privilege. And it's like, white well, privilege doesn't start with a T. It's like, yeah, but it's invested in all the systems that we have. So we have to identify them. And that's the T. Um, so what we're talking about is okay, if I've gotten to this point in my career where I am hustling and working for jobs and I realize I want to be a mom so badly and I was looking in all four of my jobs, you could not take a baby to. I was cleaning bathrooms in a, in a gym, like lockers, scrubbing, which I did through my pregnancy. 
um, I was babysitting and taking care of other people's kids, which I was like, that's going to get frustrating if I have to leave my own kid at home. You know, I was looking up odd jobs on Craigslist, handing out flyers, um, you know, <laughs> trying to do like cleaning for Airbnb, everything that I could do. And I looked at my belly and like my gym shirt, it was like this sports club. And I had the chemicals on my knees and I was like, I should probably be wearing a mask because I'm pregnant. And I was like, what am I going to do when she's out? Like what? And suddenly I realized, I was like, someone with my hustle, someone with my talent is suddenly looking at a path that is like, guess what? None of these options are available to you right now. It's kind of like that question you asked you, like, how would you do it all over again with like no money and no yeah. connections? I'm like, oh, so like pregnancy where you're looking at, I have to start and rebuild completely differently all over again. Um, and it was right around that time, you know, our, our family was making a film and I was looking at the social media and like all of that marketing experience from like international creative advertising agency came flooding back to me. You know, I studied communications in college too. Like the grad school acting thing, right. Was that like bizarre pivot my senior year. So it all came flooding back to me and I was like, I know how to do this. I wonder if I could make some money doing this. And I reached out and I was like, Hey, can I intern and do some social media and like work on just helping out? I just want to get trained. And they said, yeah. And they like started paying me a little bit. I learned so much in that first year that by the end I was like, Hey, I bet I could design a better website. And you know, like we're in visual arts, like I was a communications and arts major. So like I taught myself website design and I'm doing all this stuff with my pregnancy, with my infant on my lap. Like while I'm nursing, I'm like writing emails and like on the phone with with a with a press company, I was moderating a bicoastal press call the day I gave birth in the hospital. My daughter was in the bassinet. She started to cry, and they said, "Oh, someone has a baby in the background." And I was like, "Oh yeah." They're like, "Who's baby?" I was like, "Mine." They're like, "She sounds young." They go, "When did you have her?" And I went, "Today." And they were like, "What?" And I was like, I don't mean to distract everyone. Um, let's go back to what we were talking about. So the press release is going to go out at what time on Pacific? And like my husband like picked her up and like she because she was crying, like started walking around with her. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized I am giving a thousand percent just for the opportunity to be in a room with people who may or may not be willing to adjust a bit and say, can we reschedule this meeting for next week? Do you want to sleep today? But I wasn't even taught to ask because I had been conditioned that if you have need and you ask for need in the workplace, you're less committed. And so I am so deeply passionate. And I started a nonprofit called um, Parent Artist Advocacy League for the Performing Arts and Media that creates parent and caregiver support and intelligent, affordable workplace infrastructure and access that will help organizations not only create access for parents and caregivers, but better systems. So that what happens is that day that I was moderating that call, listen, I crushed it. I was amazing. I could have kept on that path and been like, I am number one. And for a year and a half of my daughter's life lived like I did not have a child in the professional workplace. And then I realized, oh, I'm overspending and the work environment is underspending and underinvesting in me. And so it also has so much to do, you know, my passion creating humane work environment. It has a lot to do with the hustle is so important and like the doing what it takes is so important. But we are 
going to lose our sense of value or at the very least lose the ability to value other people with different needs than ourselves who could be incredible contributors to our companies and incredible contributors to our goals if we do not assess how am I creating a work environment that is better sustainable for the people as opposed to asking the people to change themselves for the product. Because then what happens, you know, we talk about brand loyalty with an audience. Then what happens is we have a workplace loyalty that's developed around, you know, what we teach with our nonprofit and our, and our organizational trainings is a culture of care and the power and inspiration that that instills in employees and in people who, you know, feel like, oh, this organization is investing in me because I have value. That feels like it's a reciprocal relationship um, is unmatched. And when we're talking about like, you know, you can give the PTO and you can give the gift cards and you can give the pizza party. You know, there are those memes that's like you work overtime six months in a row and you get a pizza party out of it sort of thing. Like those memes become obsolete when you have a company that's like, we are so confident in our ability to have agile infrastructure that you can have a family or you can be sick or you can hear news of someone in your family passing and know that like we know how to function and support you at the same time. And so my entire agency was built from the experiences that I got, not only as a marketer, by the end of five years, I had become the internal marketing director of our family's film company. And I was exercising all of these skills that I learned in college. But I had also come out of it with a commitment to say, I'm not only here to succeed in the game, I'm here to change the rules. And when you reach that point in your path of, I don't want to just achieve my goal, I want to define the steps it took to reach it. You are actually like not only paving the way for other people to achieve, but for people to achieve with you. And then the potential is greater. And so when the company closed out the film production, I started my own company. And in the last five years, went from two social media clients to now, you know, over 15 major clients, multi-million dollar organizations that we have entire marketing agencies and teams for. And my entire team knows that if there's a loss or if there's caregiving needs or if they have their birthday, their birthday is a holiday in our company, like you take it off. And what we find is that people get really excited to pass on work to team members who get excited to take it on and learn something new. And it's just created a sense of real solidarity and loyalty. And the the outcome is greater than anything I've ever been a part of. That's amazing. Yeah, when uh, Jackie's health got crazy. So my wife, Jackie, for anybody who for some quick background, I'll just give the 15 seconds. She got long COVID uh, a couple years ago. In, in 2020, she got COVID, and then she got long COVID. So her health's been kind of crazy. And there were periods where I was taking care of her. She, she wasn't able to work. It got really rough for a bit. I was taking care of her while working my day job, while trying to spin other stuff on the side, yeah. while taking care of the house and everything. And I remember thinking, how do single parents survive? I mean, single right. parents was the first thing because, I mean, we have close ties to, to single parents in our lives. And that was the first thing that I thought of. And I just remember thinking so regularly, how do they survive? Because right. I feel like I can barely survive despite all of the fortunes that I have on top of that, that made it bearable for me that I know because like I was working at a place that was paying me well. I was just strapped for time and energy where I had no time or energy. And I was right. staying up late and getting up early and just trying to keep all the plates spinning. And I couldn't imagine what it would be like for somebody who made a fraction of what I made, but was still in the same situation and didn't have a lot of the other benefits that I had. Yeah. Hustle culture 
often doesn't appreciate the people who don't have a choice but to hustle. Exactly. Where it's like, if you have the choice between hustling or not hustling, that is your privilege. What are you doing? What are you doing with that? And how are you recognizing the people where hustle isn't just about achieving dreams? Hustle is about survival. Yeah. And I know that for me personally, that's where this commitment comes from is like, if I have the option to hustle or not, and the hustle is going to help me achieve my dreams, that privilege for me is a responsibility to say, how am I creating opportunity for the people who are currently hustling just to survive? Yeah. And so like when you're talking about like creating access at work, there's this grand idea that like, yeah, it's going to make your workplace better. And like all that stuff that I said is true, but actually there's a communal moral obligation that we have to say, we are increasing the likelihood that more people will thrive if we use our ability to thrive as an opportunity to share and create a platform for the people who are currently hustling to survive yeah. in ways that like make our hustle pale in comparison. Super cool that you're able to like be mindful about how you make an impact there. So I, I want to be clear for the listeners because you you talked about nonprofit and a marketing company. So how are those two entities distinct and how do they support each other? Yeah, for sure. So financially, primarily my income, you know, I, I'm going to share dual income household, but for me individually, my income comes through my marketing agency, Rachel Media. That's a full-time, full-time job. But about five or six years ago in 2017, I started Parent Artist Advocacy League, P-A-A-L, theater with an R-E.com, if you want to check it out. Um, and that's still on a stipend basis, but it's really where I also invest my time so that the work culture around me as I as I grow vertical expands in its ability to support myself and the people I want to work with, which is important. So I work for two companies. <laughs> uh, one pays me primarily, and then um, I also pursue acting, but I'm more selective with those auditions. And I think that that's important to mention is I'm not out there hitting the pavement anymore. Um, I have a an amazing manager who also knows like how gifted I am and has believed in me and like put me in front of the right people. And I just shot a feature film in August that I'm really excited for it to come out. And I'm seeing, you know, it's like, oh, how does she do it all? How does she balance it all? When we talk about the community, I've surrounded myself with, I've surrounded myself with people who are unafraid of the human side of things when, when pursuing a dream. Um, that cannot be underestimated where, listen, if you're like no excuses, break some eggs, I'm down. I'm all for it. But if you're looking at your path, and let's say you're seeing it as a business plan and or a marketing strategy, and there is not a single consideration of a pivot or like what happens with an interruption, or you have developed a pre-planned emergent strategy, it's always going to cost you more if you anticipate your life to go without a hitch. And mm -hmm. so there is a difference between, you know, playing the soft game or like pulling punches or like not fully committing, fully commit. But as you're fully committing, know that like the real genius and the real sustainability and the real long game is how are you going to apply caring, listening principles? And I know those sound like super soft skills, but they do good real fast. How are you applying this ability to pivot and to pivot when others need you to pivot so that your path is as uninterrupted as possible in a way that trends you toward health and a way that trends you toward the long game? Um, when I hear people talk about like, you know, like, no excuses, play like a champion, dear choice to have a baby. I'm like, wow, you are a short game player. Like that is the first thought that comes to my mind because I'm like, you can't even 
take into consideration like how human beings reproduce, which has been around way longer than your business. But <laughs> you you can take into consideration that like you're going to win at all costs. At the end of the day, that cost is going to be that person. Um, and so it really just the question is, and if this conversation feels strange and feels uncomfortable, if you don't get it, you're not ready for it. That's fine. But just know you're playing the short game right now. And if you really want to like deep dive and if you really want to put that super objective like really far and really high and you want like the people who are going to crush it to come with you, like practice the pivot. Practice the pivot now. Be ready for it. Um, and when it happens, just like in contact improv, stay inside it. Go with it. Ask what do you need and and let that space become like the people that are involved in contributing to it. I love that. Rachel, it's always such a pleasure chatting with you. But we still have the rapid fire questions. Ooh, okay. okay. So first one, what are the top one to two most impactful books that you've read on this? Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And every business owner, every culture maker, every creator needs to read it because it's tools that are so powerful. If you want to think with agility, this is the book. This is the book. I'll have to check that out. I like that. When you hear the word incredible, what comes to mind? So just the very breakdown of the word, that it is so good in its magnitude, that its credibility is something that will take your time and attention to process. That definition made me need to take my time to think and process. See, there you go. I like that. I like that. Rach, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at rachelmedia.org for um, all your marketing needs, especially missional support. And you can also find me at P-A-A-L, theater with an R-E.com. If your organization is looking to create access in a way that still makes you agile and move forward. And then you can also find me at rachelspencerhewitt.com um, if you want some incredible acting to come your way and be a part of your project. Awesome. Rach, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so no, much. No, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you.